Well, good morning again. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are starting a new series called Dinner with Jesus. Uh, we'll be in this series through the church season known as Epiphany, which some of you may be familiar with that, but, but of those who aren't, the church, much like our kind of everyday calendar, has a calendar as well, uh, and there's different seasons that happen. And we just finished the season of, anybody remember the season that just ended like last week? Big celebration. We do it every year, December 25th, Christmas. <laughs> season of Christmas, we finished that 12 days of Christmas. You guys remember with the song? Started in the church. There were 12 days after Christmas to the day of Epiphany. When the wise men came to Jesus, and so over the next handful of weeks, we'll be in the season of Epiphany leading up to Lent. And in this season, uh, the church takes time and reflects upon how Jesus has revealed who He is to the world. That's kind of why the name is Epiphany, because when you have an epiphany, there's like a revelation. You kind of have a new insight, and that's what Jesus came to do, is to reveal, to show us who He is. And so we'll be doing that, and we'll be doing that in a very particular way, is we'll be looking at some of the instances where Jesus shares a meal with people. Uh, and meals are a very powerful thing. I mean, humans have been, using me have been having meals since our existence, right? Like, we've always been, been eating, but, but specifically, we've used meals, this time where we sit down with other people, whether they're family or friends or acquaintances. We sit down with people, and we use meals not just to enjoy food, but to have conversation, uh, to get to know other people, to have them get to know us, to learn, to support, to care. All of that happens over the course of meals. Now, I know in our modern day, uh, with the advent of, of fast food and drive-throughs, I know for some of us, especially if we've got kids, our meals have become, uh, what do you want from McDonald's? And here, let me hand it back to you in the back seat. And that's like what we've become with our meals. But when we do have the opportunity to sit down at a table across from other people, meals are very powerful. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus he knew the power of meals, and he used meals in his ministry uh, to get to know people, but more importantly, for them to get to know him. And so we'll be looking at some of those instances where meals are used to teach us about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what it means for us to follow him. So today we look at an instance from Luke chapter 5 where where we see eventually Jesus have a meal with, uh, with a man named Levi and his associates, but there's also some things before the meal that we'll reflect upon. But in this interaction, in this story of Jesus and Levi, we see a few really important things. Uh, first, we see, um, who, is, who did Jesus come into the world? Do you want to go back to the first slide? That's all right. Uh, who did Jesus come to embrace? Then we see for what purpose, like why did Jesus embrace the people he embraced? And ultimately, we'll see who's in with Jesus. Because as with everything, there's people who are in and there's people who are out. Who are the people that are in with Jesus? Those are the things we'll see in Luke chapter 5. So we'll go ahead and now we'll go to to this next slide here. Luke 5 verse 27, as we see who did Jesus come to to embrace, to invite, 
to welcome. Luke 5, 27 says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, we may skim past these words and, and think that there's nothing super important, but actually there's some, some incredible power and depth to what's going on here. Luke, as he tells this story early in Jesus' ministry, he wants us to know uh, for certain that this man Levi is what? What is his job? Tax collector. And he's like, so he's a tax collector, and he's like, and he's sitting at the tax booth. So he's doing his job, and he wants to make very clear that this man Levi is a tax collector, which to us is like, great, so this guy works for the IRS. It's so much worse than that. It's so much worse than that, because in that day and age, tax collectors were some of the most hated people in society. They were hated by their Jewish brethren because they were turncoats. They were Jewish people who grew up and decided, I want to make a buck, and how I'm going to do that is I'm going to turn on my family, on my friends, on the people who are closest to me in my community, and I am going to work for the, the government that has come in, the invading army that is controlling our land and that takes taxes from us and says we have the privilege to live if we pay them. And they say, I'm going to work for them. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to go door to door, and I'm going to go through the community, and I'm going to make sure that you pay your taxes to this government that you hate, and I'm going to work for them. Also, I'm going to make my money by charging you more. So, they were invited to all the cool parties, right? They were everybody's best friend. No, they were despised by the people they grew up with. But on the flip side, they worked for the Romans, and you would think, well, surely they would be liked by them. No, they weren't. They were looked down upon. They were maybe even kind of like eyed with suspicion even by the people they worked for because they were seen as untrustworthy. They were seen as deceitful. They were seen as liars. They were looked down upon and seen as less then. So really, they were disliked by everybody except fellow tax collectors. Like, that's really the only friends they had were fellow tax collectors. And who does Jesus say he wants to be his disciple? This tax collector. This tax collector who nobody wanted to be around who nobody wanted to invite over, who nobody wanted to have an actual relationship with, Jesus comes along and says, no, you know who I want to, to welcome into my inner circle? You know who I want to be one of my followers that I will spend every waking minute with? I want this tax collector. Now, the name Levi is there, but we know him by a different name. He becomes known as Matthew, who actually goes on to write one of the four biographies of Jesus is, is this man who is embraced by Jesus. And again, this may seem like a, a seemingly small detail, but it, it really shows the fundamental nature of, of who Jesus came to embrace. And Jesus came to embrace, to welcome, to call, to, to make sure they knew they were in his family. He came for the unworthy that's what Levi was. He was an outcast. 
He was hated. He was despised. And everybody he knew would look at him and say, you're unworthy of love. You're unworthy of my affection. You're unworthy of my relationship. You are unworthy. But Jesus comes along and says, I want you to be with me. I want to welcome you. I want to embrace you, even though everyone says you are unworthy. That is astounding and amazing that that's who Jesus came to welcome. Now, I want us to think for a second here about reputations, because we care about our reputations. You may not admit it, but all of us, to one degree or another, care about our reputation. Now, you may say, I don't care what those people think about me. All well and good. But I can guarantee you, you have at least one or a handful of people that you care what they think about you, right? Like, you are not a sociopath. (laughs) You care about what a certain people, certain group of people think about you, right? Like, that's a part of being human. And And I think one of the things, when we think about our reputation with those people that we want to make sure view us well, view us rightly, welcome us, I think one of the things deep down is we don't want to be associated with unworthy people. And that, that definition is going to change for all of us. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a person who, who comes from a certain background or, do, or does a certain practice, and you're like, well, the people I care about, if they knew that I was like hanging out with them, if I talked to them, if I was friends with them, man, they would look at me and they would not approve. That could be a, a, a person of a certain political party that you're like, if I associate with them, my closest people, they're going to look down on me. You know, I know, Michigan, you guys are all excited from, what, two weeks ago, however long it was, national championship, whatever. How many of you are like, yeah, I want to I be friends with Ohio State Buckeyes? Like, you would probably look at other people and be like, what are you doing? You're insane. You're crazy. Except for the fact if you would gloat over it, right? If you kind of rub their nose in it. But no, we all have unworthy people that, that if we're associated with them, if we are seen to be around them, or even be friends with them, we would be like, man, I'm worried about that. What was Jesus worried about? Because Jesus was worried about his reputation too, or he cared about his reputation, I should say. You know what Jesus wanted his reputation to be? He wanted it to be this. Jesus, above all else, wanted to be known. He wanted his reputation. When people heard Jesus, you know what, they, what he wanted them to think? Friend, of tax collectors and sinners. You know who wanted his reputation to be friend of unworthy people? Jesus did. And so if you're here today and you think to yourself, I, I am unworthy. Like I, I kind of relate to these tax collectors where, where I'm overlooked, where I've felt discarded, where I've felt unloved by so many people. I've got a really good news for you. Jesus, he wants you to be with him. Now, here's a question that I want to ask you, though, for all of us that follow Jesus, and it may be an uncomfortable question. Do you want your reputation to be friend of tax collectors and sinners? Do you want that to be your reputation, to be, friend, to be a friend of the unworthy? 
I think it's a challenging question for us to ask ourselves, but here's the truth. Jesus wanted his reputation to be that, and we're invited to let that be ours too, because that's who Jesus came to embrace. But he goes on. If we're going to go to the next slide, we see not only that he, does he embrace the unworthy like Levi and like these tax collectors, but he does so for a purpose. He does so with an intention. And here's what we see in verse 28 to 29. He says, and leaving everything, this is Levi, leaving everything behind, he rose from his tax booth and followed Jesus. And Levi made Jesus a great feast, this is where the dinner comes in, in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors. Remember, they're only friends, tax collectors' only friends were other tax collectors. And so Levi is like, well, I want to have Jesus over for dinner, Uh, who am I going to invite? Well, let me invite all these other tax collectors who nobody else is inviting, because Jesus seems to like me, maybe he'll like them too. And others, all the tax collectors and others, they were reclining at table with Jesus. Here's why Jesus embraced the unworthy Levi. He embraced him in order to change him and lead him into true life. Like that's really what Jesus was doing. As he embraces Levi, he is then coming into his life and changing him, not leaving him where he is and calling him, inviting him into the true life that Jesus has. Like, Luke, whenever he says that someone leaves everything and follows Jesus, he says it repeatedly in his gospel. That is code word for a really churchy word that maybe you've heard before. It's this word, repentance. Like, that's what Luke means when he says that Levi left everything and followed Jesus. He repented. And and when we think about repentance, again, some of us may have grown up hearing that word, and maybe we have ideas about what that means. Part of what that means surely is recognizing I I have sinned, and I'm turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus, who has forgiven me, has embraced me, and I follow him. But if I want to add kind of another layer to it, to repent, or as, as Jesus says, to leave everything and follow him, it always involves a reorientation and reprioritization. This is what it means to, to follow him. It means to reorient and reprioritize. This is what we see Levi doing. First, we see this reorientation. Like all of us, every human being, we are oriented, we live our life toward a certain end. All of us have an idea of what the good life is. And whether you realize it or not, you make decisions and you don't make decisions based on where you are oriented, based on how you say, this is the goal of life, this is what the good life looks like. And to reorient and to repent is to orient our life and say, you know what the good life is? The good life is following Jesus. The good life is saying, where is Jesus, and I want to go to where he is. The good life is saying, what does Jesus do, and I want to try and follow in his steps. The good life is, what does Jesus say, and I want to hear it and take it in. That is what it means to reorient and see that Jesus is the one who gives us the good life. But there's also the reprioritization, because we all have a priority list of of where we're going to spend our time, and our energy, 
and our relationships and our money, you have a priority list of those things. And if you wonder what yours is, look at your Google Calendar or whatever calendar device you have and see where do you spend the most time. Look at your bank account and say, where do you spend the most money? And I can guarantee you, it will show you what your priorities are. And to, to turn to Jesus is to prioritize the things he prioritizes. To reprioritize is to say, I want to seek the approval of Jesus and let everything I do follow after that. Because you're chasing somebody's approval. And you, you, you make decisions based off of that. And to repent, to reprioritize is to say, I want Jesus' approval to be the thing that guides me, that leads me, that dictates everything in my life. And it may seem simple, but that's what Levi was doing. Levi was saying, I want everything in my life to be about Jesus. I, I want my life to be focused on his goal to be focused on his way and to follow him in every aspect of my life. And that's why Jesus embraces, is to lead people into that type of life. Now, you may be sitting here and thinking, great, Pastor Andy, that's what Jesus wants from us. But what if I don't want to do that? Like, my life's pretty comfortable. I like my priorities. <laughs> I like how my life's going for the most part. Doesn't Jesus love me the same no matter what? And to that I say, absolutely. If you don't reorient your life and say, I'm all about uh, following Jesus and reprioritize your life around the priorities of Jesus, here's what I want to let you know. Jesus does not love you any less. His forgiveness is not taken away from you one single bit. But here's what I would caution you that that is a dangerous place to be. Because at best, you will simply remain immature. You'll remain immature in your faith. You even, from God's perspective, will remain immature as a person because you won't be led into the fullness of how God has made you to be. But at worst, over time, and I've seen it so often as a pastor so often for people who continually refuse to reorient around Jesus, to reprioritize around Jesus, over time, eventually they say, why do I even need Jesus? And they walk away altogether. At best, we remain immature. At worst, we say, Jesus, I don't need you anymore. But Jesus comes to you today, just like he did to Levi, and he invites you. He embraces you so that you would reorient, that you would reprioritize, and you would say, Jesus, I want to follow you because that's the good life. And that's his promise to you, is that as you lean into him, as you give yourself over to him, you will experience the fullness of life. Like the life that you and I have experienced apart from Jesus is not the fullness is not the full life. It may be good for the moment. We may have fun. But Jesus is saying, as we seek him in every aspect of our life, that's when we embrace. That's when we experience the fullness of life. So I invite you to, to kind of do some self-reflecting because you're the only one that can ask yourself this question truly. No matter who you are, no matter if you've been, fo if you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, 
we all need to ask ourselves this question, what in your life needs to be reoriented? Because we all are out of whack somewhere, every single one of us. We all have our lives oriented to something that is apart from Jesus. So where is it for you that you need to be honest with yourself and say, man, I need to, I need to shift that. Where in your life have you put priorities not in the proper order? You've taken a good thing and made it the ultimate thing. You've put it in a place where only Jesus should be. What have you done? Where has that happened for you? And, and to ask yourself that question. Because it's when we ask ourselves that question is where Jesus begins to lead us into the good life, into the true life we desperately want. That's why Jesus has embraced us, to lead us and to change us. You can think of it this way, that Jesus has met you where you are. I don't care where you are, he meets you there. Whether you feel like you're at the top of the mountain or you're at the bottom of the valley, Jesus has met you exactly where you are and has loved you where you are. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to remain unchanged. And so he calls you to follow him. But there's one more thing we see in this kind of interaction is that not only do we see Jesus, who has who he come to embrace? The unworthy, the overlooked, the lowly, the tax collectors. And he's done so for a purpose, to embrace them so that they are brought into true life. But fundamentally, what we see is this, is Jesus has a clear dividing line. Like Jesus is, as one theologian has put it, the most inclusive, exclusive person to ever live. He is the most inclusive, exclusive person to ever live. Because there is a line of who's in and who's out with Jesus. There is with everybody. You have a line in your life of who's in and who's out. And it's the same way with Jesus. Where's that line for Jesus? Who's in? Who's out? Here's what we see as he's teaching at this dinner. He says these words. Oh, jumped ahead. There we go. And the Pharisees, the good guys, as they and their scribes grumbled as they saw Jesus, they grumbled, they were upset. And they said, why do you, Jesus, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, with the, the unworthy? Why do you sit and eat with them? And then Jesus said these these incredible words. You want to know where Jesus' line in the sand is? Here it is. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, they do. I have come not to call the righteous, not to call the healthy, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if I could put it this way, you know what Jesus' line in the sand is if you're in or out with Jesus? If you're an unhealthy sinner, tax collector, unworthy Jesus says, ha, you're in. I came for you. I am the good physician to bring you healing. But if you're here today and you are a good person, if you're healthy, Jesus, he doesn't mean anything to you. Because you're good. You don't need him. Now, here's the irony. You do need him. Because what Jesus wants to communicate to us is this, that all of us, 
all of us are sick. It's just whether or not we see it. All of us are unwell and unworthy. It's just whether or not we've opened our eyes and admitted it. And Jesus says, until you can admit that, until you can admit there is nothing good in me on my own. I am weak. I am broken. I am a sinner. Until you admit that, Jesus makes no sense to you. But if you're here today and you recognize, I'm a mess. Like, I have made a train wreck of so many relationships. I have done things I am ashamed of, and, and I am unworthy of anybody to love me if they know the real me. If that's you, Jesus says, I've come for you to embrace you, to love you, to forgive you. That is Jesus' dividing line. That is who is in, in Jesus' kingdom, the people who are lowly and unworthy. Prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus, puts it this way, and maybe these are familiar words to you, says this, talking about what Jesus would come to do. Surely Jesus took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities, our sins. He was, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are, say it with me, healed. I want you to notice two things in this. One, I want you to realize the cost of your sin. The cost of your sin was not light. The cost of your sin and my sin is the death of God's Son. That is how bad we are. That's how bad I am. That's how bad you are. But don't stay there. Because if you just stay there, that is a guilt and shame-ridden place. But, but we need to recognize that there's, there's a badness in us that is so dark. But notice this, that Jesus... Jesus came to heal even that. He did so willingly because Jesus loves you. That's why he did this. He did it because he loves you and he calls you. You who are unworthy, you who are sinners, he calls you and he invites you to follow him. That's what he invites you to do today, to reorient your life to him, to reprioritize your life around his priorities, and he promises that as you do that, you will experience the good life. But even as you stumble to do that, and you will, know this, he has healed you. And the only way you see how amazing that is is when you see how much you are in need. But that's who he's come to save. He's come to embrace the unworthy. Like Levi, like me, and like you. Amen.